Shalom, and welcome to the Pardes Center for Jewish Educators podcast series. Hanukkah, Purim, and Pesach walk into a bar. Each episode, Rabbi Svi Hirschfeld will be joined by guest educators who will reveal the deeper meaning for each festival or year cycle event. The Talmud says when wine enters, secrets come out. So prepare to be intoxicated as our great educators each bring a text with them that encapsulates the spiritual essence and holy work of that time of year that will change our and our students' lives forever. Hi, I'm Ruvain Margaret, producer of this podcast. In this episode, Rabbi Svi Hirschfeld is joined by PCJE's Aviva Goldbert and Susan Yammer. Today, we are uncovering the deeper meaning or spiritual essence of Hanukkah, trying to find the hidden jam in the middle of the donut. Each of our guests has prepared a text that, for them, uncovers a deeper meaning for Hanukkah. Welcome to the bar. Okay, I am thrilled to be here with my outstanding colleagues uh, talking about Hanukkah. It's a great uh, holiday to begin with, primarily, I think, because there's so much room. Because it's the only holiday that has no fixed biblical text, I feel like over the ages people have gone different directions and it leaves a lot of room for educators, for participants, for the Jewish people to find meaning in it uh, that's appropriate for them in their circumstance. So we're going to begin by asking my friend and colleague and mentor Susan Yammer to share uh, where she finds meaning and how she educates meaning when it comes to Hanukkah. Um. My whole relationship with Hanukkah, I think, started with the fact that I love candles and I love light. And, and it evolved until I found a pasuk from Mishle 623, which is Kiner Mitzvah V'Torah Or, which is mitzvot or candles and the Torah is light. And that has always been my kavanah when I light the Hanukkah. And because that was such a meaningful kavanah for me and looking at the candles and seeing mitzvot, I actually turned it into an activity that I, for all my years teaching in third grade, I made part of our regular classroom time every year, which brought this whole um, idea and this whole pasuk to light, so to speak. Hmm. We would, and I guess I'll share it now because it was really a lovely memory I have and many people have uh, told me how meaningful it was for them. We would go into a dark room, and remember this is third graders, found a dark room, every student would come in and sit in front of a candle with a mitzvah on it, a mitzvah laminated sheet of paper with a mitzvah, and the candle sat on top of that mitzvah. And after some singing, I would retell the Hanukkah story and ask them, as they hear their mitzvah, when they hear the mitzvah, they blow out their candle. What do you mean by mitzvah? Just, you mean like a name of a mitzvah, like Bikur Cholim, for example? Yes, so we would have, depending on the group, Lishmor Shabbat, Lolishtachavot, Le Psalim. I modeled it after the Gzerot of Antiochus, actually, for the most part. But sometimes I would also add mitzvot ben adam, Ro as well. So the students would sit in a darkened room with the candles all lit. It was actually very beautiful. And I talked about how the land of Israel was filled with light and how beautiful it was. And um, slowly I began to tell the Hanukkah story. And as I would retell the story of the um, Gzerot, one by one, the students, when they heard the mitzvah, would blow out their candle. 
and slowly the room got darker and darker. So by the end, there was one one candle that remained lit and went into the story of how the Maccabim preserved that one candle because they understood that total darkness would fall upon the land. It was a lovely activity. It also helped the students really associate with light, with the mitzvot and the candles. It was fun, meaningful, and it actualized my own meaning of the Chag. What mitzvah do you feel like you want to think about this year for yourself as you light your Hanukkah candles? Um, I think the mitzvah that I've been really more and more attached to is um, Lishmor Shabbat. Mm. Now that my whole family is in Israel, I've had many more meaningful times combining family with Shabbat here, and it's become more meaningful, and I think it's somehow at another whole layer of depth has happened for me in my life this year. So I think I'm going to be thinking about that. Wow, that's great. But let me just try to clarify here for myself. So what you're saying is that the the candles that we light on Hanukkah, for you, they really are, they're a metaphor, right? They're a metaphor for Torah and for Jewish living in some capacity, yeah, and I think when especially, well, for myself and as a teacher, we talked a lot about the idea of lighting it in a window and the idea of pride in these mitzvot and what distinguishes us are the mitzvot and the very public nature of this minhag or this mitzvah really talks about being openly, lovingly, enthusiastically Jewish. What I really like best about uh, what you're talking about, first of all, it connects a lot to the fact that this idea of the story as Antioch was trying to snuff out Judaism, right? It's not an attack on the Jews as much as an attack on Judaism. Uh, and what you're putting out there is we can't, our response can't just be this vague, general, this is what we're about, but it really challenges every individual to commit uh, to something specific or think about something specific. Uh, and I think that's a very powerful message because I think we can kind of get lost in the whole, well, we Jews want to do this or try to do this, but yeah. we Jews won't do anything unless individual Jews act uh, on their own and take a certain amount of responsibility. So I think that's a, a great message. Thanks. Okay. Me next? Of course. Of course. Um, so... This actually was really a difficult assignment for me to come up with um, a text that that for me uh, encapsulated what Hanukkah is about, because I think that over the years, I know that over the years for me, um, what what I believe Hanukkah is all about has has wavered, maybe wobbled a little bit changed changed, but I think wobbled might be an even better word (laughs) because I think in my more, um, you know, when I was growing up in my more black and white years, um, it seemed very clear to me somehow that this holiday was about Judaism as opposed to Hellenism. It was Judaism, yes, Hellenism, no. And it's, you know, we beat them let's eat or whatever that, you know, (laughs) right. Um, and there's your jelly donuts, which are already in the stores, um, here in Israel. So uh, that was, that was when I was growing up, that's what I thought about the holiday. But 
I'm a little scared to say what I'm about to say, and I know that, you know, just a few people might be listening to this podcast, but over the years as I started, okay, let me step back a second. I grew up modern Orthodox. I did not know anybody who had a Hanukkah bush. I did not know anything about Christmas except for there was a creepy guy wearing a red suit. Like, I really, it was not an attraction for me. Creepy, he's so friendly. A friendly guy wearing a red suit. And when you, who wants you to sit on his lap. And then when, you know, growing up, I, you start reading magazines. I think it was when I moved to Israel that, that the idea of all those fun Christmas things that people do became very, um, attractive to me. And I know a lot of people who live here in Israel who feel the same way. And of course, that made me feel like I was the worst Jew there was, because of course, presents, that's a Christmas thing. We don't do that on Hanukkah. Why are we, um, why are we trying to convert to Judaism, those things which are so clearly not Jewish? So, um, that's where I come to this interesting text, um, which comes from um, the Book of Maccabees, the second Book of Maccabees. There are actually four Book of Maccabees, um, also called Sefer Maccabim in Hebrew, but also Sefer Chashmonaim. And they are not, as Tzvi mentioned before, they are not in the Bible. They're not included in the Bible. They are considered apocrypha, sfarim chitzonim. They are included in the Catholic Bible, um, not in the Protestant Bible, but they are books written by Jews in the Second Temple period. So what I love about this second book of Maccabees is it's kind of like a soap opera. First of all, it's a book that probably, this particular book was probably written in Greek originally, um, even though most of the Apocrypha were written in Hebrew originally, um, written in Greek and then translated back, you know, into Hebrew. So there's kind of that gray area already, right? It's it's Jewish, but it's Greek. Um, and it tells in this soap opera-y way the story that we all, you know, that we know. And it includes all kinds of super interesting things that, um, like um, Hannah and her seven sons and somebody not wanting to eat the pig and not wanting to, that all those, all those pieces, th- this is where it comes from. So I just, I want to read a few verses um, and hopefully get to my point. All right. Basically, there is a high priest named Jason who decides that he's going to buy the high... Well, he's not a high priest yet. He wants to buy the high priesthood. Um, And he promises that he, in exchange, will build a gymnasium and a youth center in Jerusalem. Okay, so um, the, the Greeks... The Syrian Greeks agree to that. So they build a gymnasium under the city of David as he wanted to. And they, um, they made, they made everybody promise, they commanded everybody to, um, work out there or to, you know, play Greek games wearing a Greek, you know, helmet. Um, Okay, what's wrong with that? Like, we go to the gym. We do. I mean, or we, we sure. exercise. We care about how we look. Well, I think here's the problem. A few psukim later, it says, Vayachshavu, this is the Jews who went to the gym. Vayachshavu edarchei avotehem lehevel varik. They started thinking that their 
their ways, the ways of their fathers, the Jewish ways, were stupid. And they started praising the ways of the Greek. And they even, the Greeks, and they even call this, um, later on, these are the the years of the, you know, folly and, and games. And, like, what's so wrong with that, though? Okay, what's wrong with it is not the gym. It's okay to go to the gym. What's wrong with it is that they started thinking that what their own, the pride, they had no pride anymore in their own culture. Or maybe they thought it was an either or situation that they couldn't choose both and somehow integrate both. They had to lose one or the other. And, yeah, and this so this is where it starts tying into what you talked about, Susan, because yeah. in the next parak it says, It sounds so biblical, yeah? Um, uh-huh. An old man came from Antioch. Um, they, they commanded the Jews to stop doing their their mitzvot and to leave the Torah. And I think therein lies the problem, just what you said. Like, it's okay right. to go to the gym, but it's also really okay to learn Torah, and it's really okay to do our own minhagim. And there's something just about this freedom of religious freedom. To me, that's the spiritual essence. You should be mm. free to... to be a Jew. You should feel proud of being a Jew, and you shouldn't have to throw the baby out with the bathwater. Yeah. Yeah? Well, we should never throw babies out. I think that that's a fair message to learn. <laughs> that's a different holiday. No matter what holiday we're talking right, about. But uh, I, I just w- I want to ask, uh, follow up a little bit in terms of do you see any challenges when you try to integrate? And like, how does, and in terms of figuring out what lens views what, and how do we prioritize? Just if you could follow up a little bit with that. Of course, of course. That's but I mean, I guess that's what makes us adults and and human and interesting rather than just one dimensional. Uh, yeah. How do you decide whether you? And of course, going to the gym is just a, a metaphor or for anything else. Um, it's a it's a holiday of metaphors, I guess. Right. Um, yes. When do you decide that you're going to be spending? all of your brain cells on, um, you know, celebrities and caring about how you look and expensive consumerism and all that kind of thing. Like when that, the challenge is like being somewhere in the middle and being able to enjoy things or being able to like live life to the fullest, but at the same time live life, a life of meaning and a life of Torah and a life of giving and, I don't know if I answered your question there. Uh, I think you did, but I just want to, you know, push a little bit this idea of religious freedom. You know, it's always interesting that Matityahu's response, of course, is to kill the Jew who wants to worship idolatry, as I know you're well aware of, because you're pointing at the text as you're, uh, as I said that. And it, it really is, it's, it's really this conflicting message of, you know, on the one hand, we as Jews want religious freedom to be Jewish, but, you know, in our stories, are we offering fellow Jews that same freedom? I'm just wondering, you know, what you do with that or what your reaction to that is. I'm really scared to be saying this on tape. Like, I'm scared to be 
outing myself as somebody who loves Hanukkah presents or who loves reading Martha Stewart Christmas pages. It's not about Christmas. It's it's about being able to it's about being able to be proud of being Jewish at the same time as appreciating and not having to say, no, 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 you're awful to everything else. And I wonder where you get that pressure. Is that coming from inside of you or from fellow Jews? Both, certainly. I mean... Because I think in the Hanukkah story, there was the the whole um, group called Mityavnim, that's what these people. So are. really, who and those were our Jewish people who yeah. were. Um, I'm. I'm wondering. I think that sounds to me like what you're talking about. But how do you? If the pressure is coming from outside, or is the pressure coming from inside? Yeah, I don't know. I. I it's a very dangerous thing. Standing on a tightrope is a da- is a dangerous thing. Yeah. And I'm not sure. I certainly wouldn't talk about this with third graders. I think that your activity is an amazing way to talk about Hanukkah with younger kids. Mm-hmm. I I think this is this is a fraught sort of topic, and I, mm-hmm. I would definitely you know talk about it only with older older students. Yeah, but I think it's a really interesting question. What are the cultural lines and boundaries? You know, when have we gone too far in absorbing outside culture, so to speak? And when have we closed our off, closed ourselves off from uh, other cultures or insights or wisdom that it's harmful to cut ourselves off from it? Uh, and I'm wondering, just it, it really connects to my text to some degree, but it's interesting the role of Israel in all of this. That right. is this process different when you're in the majority culture? Yes. You know, I know for myself when I've, I've been back to the states during uh, the holiday season, I love it. I love the music. I love the decorations. I love mm-hmm. the lights. Mm-hmm. I love the fact that people are friendlier. Uh, I love all of it. Uh, and it doesn't bother me because when I'm in, walking through some mall in Cleveland, it's not my mall. It's not my. I don't feel like someone has brought Christmas into my home. Right. I feel like I'm a tourist who gets to just enjoy Christmas. But I imagine if you're a Jew who lives there, uh, you may not react the same way. It may 100%. feel like I, I'm trying to carve out my space, and it's always coming into my space. You know, which of course is a story is described in the Talmud, right? What generates the miracle? It says the Yevanim broke in to our space, into our mikdash, and our response then is to take these lights and bring our inside space into the outside. It's like we're going to draw lines. You're going to invade my territory. Well, I'm going to proudly put my culture out in the public domain to show that I'm proud and that I'm not giving in. But I'm just wondering, you know, if your sense of that is different. If you're living in no, you're Jersey right, right now. In New Jersey, you're 100% right. If I were I were living in New Jersey, my my main spiritual goal of Hanukkah would be to say I am allowed to be really proud of who I am. I don't have to apologize for who I am. Persume Nisa, right? right? I'm allowed to love doing Jewish things. I am allowed to share with the world those Jewish things that I do. Don't tell me that I can't do my, can't be me. So yeah, you're absolutely right. Here, it's easy. And that perspective. Yeah, yeah. I'm a big fan of Christmas. Here. I'm ash- not ashamed. I, I I like the movies. It's a Wonderful mm-hmm. Life. I used to watch every year. Yeah, I'm into it. 
No, I'm on record as being into it. Uh, Susan, do you like Christmas? Yes, and I I didn't grow up in an Orthodox community. I grew up in a conservative community in Connecticut. I never felt um, the angst that you seem to have felt, and I I loved Hanukkah. My good friends had Christmas. I would go and celebrate with them, and somehow. I didn't feel threatened. I was happy where I was. I was happy to ce- you know to celebrate with my friend at Christmas. It, I was at peace with this conflict. Actually, it wasn't a conflict for me. So you should, I'm not you sure why. That many years ago, when I was a young uh, teacher educator in Cleveland, well, that's a long time ago already. I used to have to give a class at the JCC for parents called the December Dilemma. Yeah. <laughs> Right. And all these parents who were overwhelmed and terrified that their children thought Christmas was great and Hanukkah wasn't any good. And what are the the tips that do we emphasize? We have eight days of presents and they (laughs) only have one and so on and so on. And it's very interesting. Right. I think that that is uh, it's in some ways it's unique to the American Jewish experience that Hanukkah has been built up because it's this non-Christmas alternative to say uh, that Christmas is not me right. uh, and therefore Hanukkah is me. But I uh, I like the fact that especially since with your activity, you, you it's not only what we're not, we also have to clarify yes. what we are. Uh, it's not, an, I don't think being, it's not enough to say I'm a Jew because I don't celebrate Christmas. I do Hanukkah instead of Christmas. I don't think educationally that's where we want to get to. I think we want to see as an opportunity. As you said, I want to be proud and connected and feel good about uh, my heritage, my my history, my my culture, my mitzvot, right. uh, and I think that that's a fantastic message uh, to put out there. Great. Oh, should I go now? Ruvain is still yes. here and he's nodding his head to me that I should go. So I'm going to try to be brief because I think I've already uh, spoken more than my uh, fair percentage. But uh, I chose actually a uh, the Ramba Maimonides, who in his discussion of uh, the laws of Hanukkah. It's very interesting. When he first, he begins by talking about the historical situation in the Second Temple period, that the Greeks have had all these decrees and trying to cancel out the Torah and Judaism and prevent them from doing mitzvot. See, Susan, your insights yes. all over all these texts. And they stole our money and they took our children and they came in and defiled the temple. Uh, and the first thing he says, right, the amazing thing what happened is not the miracle of oil. That comes second. But he says that uh, the Jews get independence and sovereignty again. Even though the Rambam himself knows that the Hasmonean kings were not great sheikhs, they were priests and were supposed to have kings from the house of David, this is not an ideal situation. But the fact that we have sovereignty, we have the ability to legislate for ourselves, to, to be in control of our own space, to not have outsiders dictate to us how we have to live, he lists that first before the miracle of oil, which I think is uh, very, very interesting uh, in terms of the prioritization. And for me, uh, that is the latest iteration of Hanukkah, right? Hanukkah has gone through all these uh, evolutions of what it's about. Was it about, you know, in, uh, was it about the miracle of oil in the Talmud? Was it about uh, the miracle of winning the war, as the Alanisim prayer emphasizes? And then secularism, and then American Judaism came along and put it, made it be about pluralism and religious freedom. Uh, and then secular Zionism came along and made it about uh, milit, the power and military might of the Jewish people. Uh, and I think that uh, the latest iteration is. Uh, Connected to that, where, you know, for me, it's also about enjoying the miracle of sovereignty, which for me is very connected to 
uh, our place today to think that from the time of the destruction of the temple till now, uh, till 1948, Jews did not have a state, did not have sovereignty. Uh, and I think that that, uh, for me, maybe I'm sounding like uh, way over the edge Zionist, but uh, I think that's an important piece that I get to experience here in Israel that I did not get to experience in America. But I think if you're living in America, that the, the miracle of sovereignty, even though it's far from perfect with all of its problems, uh, I yeah. think actually connects to exactly what Aviva spoke about. It's the opportunity for us to really engage uh, fully outside cultures and other ideas without risking or losing who we are. You know, Rav Cook, and I'll try to finish this. I'm talking yeah. too much. But Rav Cook spoke at the uh, dedication to Hebrew University. Yes. And he spoke about the fact that having a Hebrew University was a rare opportunity for the Jewish people as the dominant culture to absorb what he called the wealth and riches from, from far away. He's quoting from Isaiah there, and still be who we are. And I feel like that's... Uh, a tremendous gift that really connects yeah. to all the things that we spoke about. It does, because I'm about. thinking that that connects with Aviva's um, dilemma. You could say, my angst. A dilemma and angst, that this is one of the answers to that, or at least it. it's a, some kind of response, and it is miraculous. I never thought of that as one of, those, uh, one of the miracles, but um, I want to thank you for that. I never thought of that. Well, it's my pleasure. And here we are sitting here. We should realize it. Yeah. Well, thank you. So I, um, I really just have to quickly add one super interesting thing that I found in, um, Sefer Maccabim two, um, today. It, that is a surprise for you because I know that this P that your, um, Kiner Mitzvah Torah or is, um, also inspired or inspires the the story of lights, you know, the movie, yes. right? A fable yes. of Hanukkah that we talked about right. that every year my family, we watch it and I cry, of course, because I, I love the fact that the, the Torah is light. Um, so there's this crazy description here in the first chapter where they, they're, it's, they start at the end and then they, later on they go and explain, they do the soap opera and explain about everything. But they say, um, when, when they started celebrating Hanukkah on the 25th day of Kislev, it is supposed to be like um, the eight days of Hanukkah are like the um, eight days of Sukkot and Shemini Atzeret, and it's supposed to be like the day that Nehemiah, Nehemiah, who came back um, after the destruction of the first temple, he came from from Persia, um, he, he came back and found the holy light when they, they came to build the Beit HaMikdash. And it tells this whole story that um, when the people were exiled by the Babylonians, the Kohanim took the, t- took the, this fire, the fire of the, of the Korbanot, the fire of, of the offerings from the temple, and they hid it in a pit that was deep and dry in order to um, preserve it. And nobody knew where it was. And then when Chemia came back, they didn't know where it was. Right? This is sounding a little bit familiar already, yes, right? Yes. Um, they didn't know where it was, and they looked around. They went to search and find it. Um, and when they finally did find it, instead of finding fire, they found, and I am translating, I promise you it says it right here, they found frozen water in that spot. And so Nehemiah said, take the frozen water and bring it to the Beit HaMikdash. We're going to use this instead. So they have the Mizbech, they have the, the altar, and Nehemiah told them to throw the frozen water on the offering and see what happens. 
And I'm going to read this last pasuk mm-hmm. in Hebrew and translate it because it's so beautiful. kalotam, after they finished, v'hashemesh yatsa al ha'aretz, and the sun came out on the earth, v'ha'avim nafotsu, and the clouds dispersed, v'hinei esh elokim mitlakachat bekorban, and the fire or the light of God mm-hmm. is was found there with the offering and the entire nation was amazed wow and beautiful it's yeah. about this it's From about what you talk about light. it's really what I try and bring out with my class and just so it's so visually the light the darkness, the light going from darkness to light is very powerful and going from light to darkness is also powerful very visceral yeah, yeah I guess we need to be more it. amazed. It's an opportunity to remember to be amazed I at think things that we take for granted. It's yeah. a holiday of wonder. Yeah, we need to we need to do that too. Yeah, thank beautiful. You. So, okay, uh, so thank you both very much. I learned a lot. This was great, and I also think Aviva, you should institute some kind of public reading of sections of the Book of Maccabees for Hanukkah. I think it's a great idea. We read a different great. section. Uh, every each day, night. each night. I think that's a fantastic idea because no one studies this text no. anymore. And uh, she brought it to life for us, and I think that's fantastic. I would like to end by thanking Aviva, Susan, and Svi for sharing their inner Hanukkah jam with us. And for more great content, go to elmud.org.